good morning. Good to see you. You all look so good today. Um, and by the way, um, I'm going to try to recover from those comments of my wife. It's a little embarrassing and not true. Let's, uh, let's think about this for a moment. The worst criminal in the house today is who? Who's the biggest sinner in the, in the place? Would you raise your hand? Okay, some of you didn't raise your hand because you go, I'm so good. I'm so righteous. I'm so religious. Not me, right? Okay, let's try another way. How many of you have sinned at least once in your life? Raise your hand. Okay, let me look. I want to make sure. See if anybody here? <laughs> you should raise both hands, Kellen. Are you kidding me? <laughs> have you ever had those moments where you just, you just feel overwhelmed by being human? You just feel like, I can't believe how hard it is to be human. Just to live life. To go through the process of, of every day facing a new, new issue that might, might bring you down. Whether it's physical, spiritual, emotional, financial, mental, whatever it happens to be. And you just go, it's so hard sometimes to live life. Today we're going to talk about two guys who really experienced that. And Jesus came in between those situations and how their reactions were different from both of them. And one was transformational and one resulted in separation. Let's look in our Bibles. Luke chapter 23, as you find your place, I want you to know that life needs to be about Jesus. It needs to be about Jesus. Because whatever passion you have is fine. Whatever, as long as it's good and honorable, whatever it is, it's fine. But let me tell you something. When it's all said and done, it's going to come down to this. What can God do to get me in, out of this situation? How can God bless me? How can God bring me to another level of my understanding in this life so that I can function better? It's always going to come about, it's about Jesus. And, and remember, when you see the cross, the cross is a sign or a symbol of God's acceptance. It's a sign and a symbol of God's acceptance. Years ago, I took my propane tank down to get it filled up, and the, the guy was there, and he was putting propane in my tank, and I noticed he had an earring with a cross on it, on one ear. And I looked at him, and I go, is that uh, religious or just uh, kind of jewelry? And he goes, what? I go, that earring with the cross in it. Is that like religious or is it just jewelry? And he goes, well, I don't know. I never thought about it like that. And I go, well, you know, that's like a symbol of death. I mean, today it would be we'd put a little electric chair on there. He goes, man, I never thought about that. And he goes, looks around, he goes, do I got anything else on me like that? <laughs> but think about the cross. We think about we associate it with, with death, don't we? But also I want you to understand it's a picture of acceptance. I don't care what you've done what you've thought about doing, where you've been in your journey, God accepts you and God loves you. And that's really good news. I've had people say to me, especially men, say, you know, I'm just too far gone for God. Well, then your God is too small. God is a lot bigger than that. And because Jesus Christ is the way to God. There's something just very powerful when we just say the name Jesus. Would you just say that name with me? Jesus. 
There's something about it that's powerful. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. The Bible says than the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. Jesus is the way. When you look in the book of Luke chapter 23, you find this this episode that happens before the death of our Lord, the final words he will speak, uh, some of the final words he will speak. It says, then one of the criminals, beginning in verse 39, then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. In other words, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the promised one? If that's who you are, why don't you get us out of this mess? You ever prayed a prayer like that? God, if you just get me out of this, I promise I'll go to church every week and stay awake. <laughs> right? God, if you get me out of this, I promise. And you, you do all these things because in crisis mode, sometimes we react to God becomes this skyhook to get us out of our problem. And that's what this guy's doing. Hey, if you really are who you say you are, why don't you do something? Why don't you do something? In the earlier service, we, we had a different message, and we talked uh, uh, about this idea of the miraculous, and I think we have become accustomed to the non-miraculous Christianity. And it doesn't move us. It doesn't change us. We don't see God's hand coming often enough to know that there is really a God who's all-powerful. And the challenge this man was asking Jesus was, if you are really who you say you are, then do something about it. But the other one, now notice, notice a different reaction. But the other one answering, rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God? In other words, you haven't feared anything in your whole life. That's why you're in the situation you're in. Because you thought you could handle it, you thought you could get away with it, and now all of a sudden you come to a place you don't even fear God. I think it's interesting that in that reference, he's referring to Jesus as not being fearful of God. He's literally calling Jesus God. Indeed, he is God in the flesh. Don't you even fear God? What's wrong with you, in other words? Seeing that you are under the same condemnation. In other words, you're in a bad situation. Do you really think this is a time to take a shot at God? you really the time? And we indeed justly, notice the heart here, the heart of contrition. Notice the humility in this man. He says, and we justly, for we receive and do reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. He knew what was unfolding in this situation. This is God. He's done nothing wrong. Why are you hurling accusations at God? Better to get on God's side. Amen? Better to stay on God's side. He says then in verse 42, Then Jesus said unto him, he said unto to the Lord Jesus, he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This guy undoubtedly had some insight, didn't he? He, he said, I'm really concerned. I know I'm dying. Now what am I going to be? Where am I going to end up, in other words? And Jesus said unto him, Assuredly I say unto you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Two reactions, two different destinies. One had a critical spirit. You ever had a critical spirit? Everything's wrong. 
Nobody does anything right. Always finds something wrong. That's what was going on in his heart. Let me show you something. When you develop a critical spirit, you close yourself off to the Spirit of God. It's impossible to have a critical spirit and to be open to the Spirit of God at the same time because you're immediately putting up a wall and you're shutting some things down. We also see that he had an attitude of superiority, didn't he? You know, it was kind of like, well, if you're really that, I mean, let me just tell you what it's all about. You know what I found? And I think, have we all had that from time to time? Have you ever had that where you just kind of thought you knew more than everybody else? You know what it is sometimes? Just a cover-up. Because we feel inferior. And we're trying to deal with life. We're just trying to deal with life. He was resisting love, wasn't he? Resisting the love that Jesus had for him. And sometimes we push away from the very thing that we need the most. But this other man, on the other hand, he was, look what he did. He accepted himself for who he was. You know what? I am in need of God. But he also looked to the future. He looked and he said, look, I know this life is coming to an end, but what do you have for me in the future? God, would you take care of me? God, would you remember me when you go into your kingdom? And I believe there's a radical difference between a person who, is, who closes off life and a person who looks to the future and says, what is it you might have for me, God? And you know, some people have had such a journey. I know you share those journeys with me. You say, you know, my life has gone this way and that way, and, and I don't really know where to go with that. But when I just put a spark in them, we, we just say, you know what, have you thought about God has good for you? Have you thought about God maybe has a plan for you that you don't even understand? You can almost see the, the facial expressions change when people say, you know what, I think you're right. I think God does have something for me. He was confident in God's ability. I wondered if he hung on that cross. Here's where my mind goes. I wonder if his family were at the feet of that cross. I wonder if it was a family who for years prayed that their dad and their husband, their uncle, their brother, would somehow find his way out of difficulty and out of his way of crisis and out of his way of problem. And I wonder if he looked and he saw with tears coming down his face, he looked and saw into the life of his family and he thought about a legacy. I want to know, have you ever, have you ever asked yourself that? How does my life affect my generation and my future generations that will follow after me? What difference can I make in their life? You see, the death of Christ, when we study it from Scripture, was not optional. It was not optional. God never looked at it and said, you know, I, I think this is one of many plans, or it's an accident because evil men took Jesus and crucified him. It was a plan from the beginning that God had for Jesus. You see, before, before Jesus ever came, before man ever sinned, God had a plan that would take care of your problem and my problem. Jesus is called the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Think about that. Look with me in Acts chapter 2 and verses 22 through 24, and look what it says. It says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you, by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Him, now watch this, look at it carefully, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You see, God planned your provision. 
God planned the sacrifice for our sin. And it says, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and him put him to death. But look what God did. Whom God did what? Raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible for it that he should be held by it. I love it when God raises up, when God does miracles, when God does some amazing things. You've heard some of the stories we've told, and I want to just recount a few more of those stories. This is the third Easter that we've had so far. We've been, we've been a church now for a little over two years, but three Easters. In our first Easter, uh, uh, a young 26-year-old girl named Skye was diagnosed with a brain tumor the size of a grapefruit. We prayed for her, and a week later, the brain tumor was gone and she's perfectly well. And if I'm not wrong, Sky, you're here today. Are you here, Sky? Sky, would you stand up? Would you just give God the glory? The next Easter, another girl diagnosed with ovarian cancer was malignant. Three different doctors determined it. She went into surgery. We prayed for it, came out benign, but they said, but unfortunately, you probably won't be able to ever have children. And I want you to know that Katie is walking around with a little baby for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Give God the glory. <laughs> Teenage girl in our church named Tara. Tara, are you here? I know she was in the first service. Tara was diagnosed and had her to have brain surgery, and two weeks later she was in church doing well. It's a total miracle of God. Amen? Our brother Jim Kane. Jim Kane was, was lost his life completely. He was in the hospital. He literally flatlined, had a vision of Jesus helping him, Satan trying to kill him. He literally died in the hospital, and he's here today to give God the glory. Amen? Amen. You see, when God works, and I just, you know what I love? I just get, I get, I don't know if it's the right word, I just get greedy for God's hand. Does that make sense? I want to see God work. When I look and, and I see what attracted people to this Jesus, it wasn't just the words that he spoke. It was that he was different, that he brought something that was different. It wasn't like Christianity it was, that we always think about, just a religion without power. I, I don't want, I'm not excited about religion without power. I'm excited about, about Christianity that has the power of Almighty God to move in our lives. Amen. I, I tell people all the time, I hate religion. They go, well, how can you hate religion? You're a pastor. I do, but I love Jesus. And there is a difference. When you fall in love with Jesus, Jesus begins to work in your life and through your life, and you begin to see the transformational power of Jesus. It is different. It is radically different. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, guess what? Our sins were taken away. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 14 and 16 and 17, it says, if Christ is not risen then your preaching is empty. Your faith is empty. See, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it means nothing. This whole Christian thing means nothing. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. And you're still in your sins. The resurrection of Jesus Christ looked Satan in the face, looked death in the face, and said, God is powerful. Amen. Let's just say that together. God is powerful. Would you give him glory? Let's just give him glory. Amen. 
God's voice, God's voice will instruct you. When you don't know where to go, you'll hear a still small voice that says, go this way, go that way. When you find yourself up against a wall and you don't know who to turn to, turn to God and listen. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus said. My sheep hear my voice. If you'll just listen, say, God, would you speak to me? And if you're quiet long enough, you'll hear his voice say, do this and do that. He never nags, he never pushes. He speaks with a still small voice. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 3 through 6, it says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Look at this. Who desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the heart of the Father. You know, I was talking in our men's group the other day, and I said, I work with this assumption. Everybody on planet Earth wants to know Jesus. We just have barriers we have to break down. Some of it's barriers of their household and growing up. Some of it's barriers of religion and some bad experience they had. But everybody really wants Jesus. They just have to meet him. They have to meet Jesus. And once you get to know him, he's so attractive. And it goes on to say, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. You know who your mediator is? Who you go to, who you can talk to? You go to Jesus. God, I don't know what to do. I remember as a, I was a pre-law student, started reading the Bible. I read the Bible. I knew I was in trouble because I'd already done everything it said not to do. I didn't know how to pray, didn't know what to do. And I just said, God, I just call upon your name. And that God reached down and changed my life, transformed me in a moment. He's the mediator. He's the go-between. He's the one we can go to. But God is calling us all to one thing, return to God. I don't know where you are in this spectrum of following after Jesus. You might be red hot for Jesus today. You might be as far as you can be away from God. You may say, I don't even know who he is. I don't know how to get to know him. But I want you to know that God wants wants you to come to him. And it's safe. It's safe to come to God. We always say, you know, but what about, no, don't worry about that. It's safe to come to God. There's a scripture that's really interesting. It's in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 12. It says this, return to the stronghold. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you. Now think about the power of that word right there. Return to the stronghold. When you leave the place of strength, when you leave the place of protection, you just become open to everything, every attack, every assault, every criticism, everything sinks deep into your heart. And God says, return to the stronghold. You prisoners of hope. You find yourself outside that stronghold and the only thing you have is hope. Hope will this get better. Hope is what keeps us alive. Hope is what makes life interesting. Hope is what lets me get up today and look to tomorrow and say, I hope today will be a better day. I hope that God will come through. And I mean not hope the wishy-washy kind. I mean the confident assurance that says what God has promised, God will perform. 
Return, you prisoners of hope, even today, I declare unto you, when you return, guess what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to return to you double. You know what I love about God? When we come back to God, he never just gives us a little bit. He's never cheap with us. He's always generous with us. Remember the prodigal son? Prodigal son came to his father and he said, you know, father, give me my inheritance. He didn't tell us what he was going to do, but we all know what he was going to do. And scripture tells us he went off and he just really blew all the money, had a great time, had a lot of friends till he ran out of money, right? I mean, he was buying everybody a beer at the local pub, right? And then all of a sudden, the only job he can get is feeding pigs, And he's saying to himself, you know what, even my my father's servants have it better than this. I should just go back and say, I'll be a servant because you at least feed me better than this. So he returns. And the scene is there where he's returning. The father looks and he sees the son coming. He immediately jumps up. He calls his servants and he says, put the robe on him. Put the ring on his finger. Put the shoes on his feet. For this is my son that was dead and now is alive. The son, when he came to his father, he fell into his arms. He said, Father, I have sinned. And his father interrupted him. Wouldn't let him finish. That's the heart of the father for you and for me. He'll interrupt you when he sees your heart. Even the words don't have to come out. He sees your heart. And guess what he does? He doesn't say, you know what, son, we've got to talk. You've been really, you know, you blew all that money. You've disrupted the whole family. You've torn life up. You've torn this up. And, you know, now we just got to sit down and talk, and we've got to sort this out, and I don't even know what to do with you right now. You know what he says? Son, we're going to honor you. When you return to God, you know what God does? He honors you. He gives you back double what you ever expected, triple what you ever expected. Well, doesn't he give us what we deserve? I don't want what I deserve. How about you? I know what I deserve. I don't want that. It's like when you get pulled over by a policeman. Do you want justice or mercy? I want justice for the guy who gets pulled over who raced by me. I want mercy if I get pulled over. And I, hey, I'm not too big to cry. I know. Going to the hospital. I'm a pastor, got nine people in there. I just got to go and got to hurry up. (laughs) Never works, by the way. I just want to let you know. I was in college one time. I was coming home, and I was going a little bit over the speed limit. And uh, in Kansas, I don't know if you know, but Kansas, they, anybody from Kansas? That's why you live here. Um, (laughs) But I'm speeding across Kansas, you know, trying to hurry up and get out of that state. It's the only state in the union that's prettier at night than it is in the day. And, uh, and I'm driving through Kansas, you know, and I'm going along. He pulls me over. He goes, son, how, you know how fast you're going? Well, no, that's your job. I didn't say that, by the way. But I'm thinking, that's your job. You know how fast I was going, or we wouldn't be having this dialogue right on the side of the road, right? And I go, uh, yes, sir, I'm just, uh, I'm sorry. You know, I'm a college student, don't want to see my parents. And I was kind of in a hurry. I apologize. He said, you keep driving like that, you'll never see him." Now I've got to pull the preacher card. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a ministerial student in college. You know, I'm preparing for the ministry. He stopped. He looked at me. I thought, he's going to give me a break. He's letting me off the hook. That pastor card worked. And he goes, you of all people should know better. <laughs> I said, can I just pay the fine and move on with my life right now? See, 
Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. I restore double. What God wants to teach us is learn, teach us how to stretch our faith. If you find yourself right now in a difficult situation, just say something like this, God, this is a great opportunity for me to stretch my faith and see what you can do, God. Because I've come to the end of me. I want to see what you can do. Stretch your faith. Know that, know that God has a storehouse of hope for you. The psalmist said, you, O Lord, are a strong tower, and I can run into it and be safe. The psalmist said, you are like a rock. You've lifted me up out of the miry clay, and you've put my feet upon a solid rock. God is all about bringing us back to a better place, to restoring us, to restore double that which we've lost. One of the prophets said, God wants to restore back all the years that the locusts have eaten. God can do in one day what it took you five years to destroy. One day, God can bring about hope. God can bring about love. God can bring about restoration in one day. It doesn't mean all the pieces are going to come together, but God can restore your heart in an amazing way so that you can fulfill your God-given destiny. You see, when, when we're in right relationship with God, we function the very best that's possible for us to function. And we understand what God is doing in our life. And the, the gifts that are within us begin to be released in a marvelous way. The vision that we have for the future comes out in a marvelous way. God wants to do that. In John chapter 11, Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. When you come to Jesus, you find life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he will live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. That's a good word. I am the resurrection and the life. When I come to Jesus, I have life and have life eternal. One of my favorite authors is Hemingway. And Hemingway has a short story called The Capital of the World. And in this story, it's, uh, he weaves this, just, this marvelous drama between this this father and the son, and the tension that's there. The tension gets so bad that his son, Paco, leaves. He runs away from home. He doesn't want to be around his dad anymore, and the dad in frustration is glad to have Paco out of the house. The setting of the story is in Spain. It doesn't take long before that, that strained feeling of, of separation begins to eat at the father because he loved his son. He would always love his son. And in desperation, he began that journey of trying to find where Paco could be. And he, he went as far as he could to try to find out. And then he had a rumor, a, a story from a friend that Paco was living in Madrid. He walked the streets of Madrid trying to find Paco with no luck. Finally, in desperation, Hemingway writes this. He said that the dad placed an ad in the Madrid paper that read like this. Dear Paco, meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. Let me read it to you one more time. Dear Paco, meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. The next day, the father made his way down there about 11.45, anticipating and hopeful that Paco would show up. 
In front of the newspaper office, there were over 800 boys, all named Paco, (laughs) seeking forgiveness from their father. You know, you and I, we're like Paco. We're like Paco. We're just waiting for the Father to tell us to write that announcement. All is forgiven. I love you. When Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, he placed that ad in the Word of God. And he says, I love you, and all is forgiven. A couple of ways to apply this is this. It's never too late to accept Jesus Christ and his love. You don't have to deserve it. You don't have to be worthy of it. You don't even have to understand it. It's all about just accepting the forgiveness and the love of the Father. It's about showing up at the newspaper office. And know this, that God has not forgotten about you. God has not forgotten about you. If you feel like he has, I want you to just take a little step of faith, not a big one, and maybe say something like this in prayer. God, I feel like you abandoned me back when. I feel like you didn't answer my prayers back when. I don't understand the way you work. I don't understand the challenges and the difficulties of life. But if you could just move my way with a little bit more love, a little bit more acceptance, let me know that, God. Draw me in. Draw me in. Let's stand together and pray. God, as we stand, we... We stand as children who, who struggle in life sometimes to find answers. We find ourselves so many times bruised and beaten by life experiences. Or maybe just don't have the answers and don't know where to get them. But you have told us that you have come, that we might have life, and we might have that life more abundantly. Today, God, is an opportunity for us all to go to the front office of the newspaper. It's an opportunity for us to just nudge a little bit closer and say, God, can you just give me a little bit of love? Can you just put your arm around me one more time? I'm going to ask those of you who would like to draw close to God, you you know that you... You know that you know him. You, you know and believe there was a time in your life where you drew close to God and he did what he said he would do. He would give you eternal life. But maybe you've been a little away from him. I just want to lead you through a prayer of coming home. Not of salvation, but of just coming back to the arms of the Father. In your own heart, just maybe pray a prayer like this one. Dear Lord Jesus, I do believe in you and I know that you love me but I felt distant from you I felt like 
either you didn't care or you were displeased with me. And I don't want to live like this any longer. I want you to draw me close. I, I want a relationship with you like I've had in the past. So I confess to you, God, that I stepped away and it felt like you did too. So I just wanted to bring this together right now. Bring us together. So here I am, God. Here I am. Back in your arms, believing your love and feeling the warmth of your embrace. If that was your prayer, just know that God has drawn you in like that. And then for others of you, you, you say, I'm not sure if I really know him. I know about him, but I don't really know him. Maybe you'd pray a prayer like this and with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I, I'm not certain that I've ever prayed and received Christ. I'm not certain that I have that salvation you speak of. But I want that and I believe that Jesus died, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead to give me the gift of eternal life. And right now I receive that gift by faith. The little faith that I have, God, I believe is enough for you to hear me and respond to me. You say in your word that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. Well, here I am. I'm calling. Save me. Forgive me of my sins. Write my name in the book of life that I might know you not only today but all the days of my life and into eternity. If that was your prayer today, just in your own heart right now, would you just thank him? Just use your own words. You might just say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving me the gift of eternal life today. If that was your prayer today. The Bible says that we, when we confess before men, he confesses us before the Father. I'm going to ask you and no one else just to look this way. If that was your prayer today, would you just look at me right now and let this be your confession of faith today? Right here. God bless you, sir. Thank you, sir. So many of you. God bless you, all of you. 30 or 40 of you have raised your eyes to me and said, I, I believe that that is what I did. Now just look at me for one second. Right here. Jesus heard your prayer. Jesus is good with his word. He will do and has done what he said he will do. Your name is written in the book of life. You have God's gift of salvation. Now you cultivate it and you grow it and you move forward in a love relationship throughout the rest of your life. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we, uh, as we just kind of let the message sink in, let the Spirit of God sink into us for a moment, we're going to sing one more song. And as we sing this song, just... Just reflect on all that God has spoken to you. He may have just said one thing to you, just giving you a little nudge somewhere. Just thank him for that. Just rejoice in that as we listen to this one more song.